Reviews are all over the web, but how do you know you can trust them? Welcome to Venture Voice. I'm your host, Greg Gallant, and today our guest is Jeremy Stoppelman, the founder and CEO of Yelp. Yelp's a site where anyone can post a review of restaurants, stores, bars, or anything else nearby. But if anyone can post a review, how do you know it's authentic? What if the review is written by the chef? That's a worrisome question for most review sites. However, Yelp differentiates itself by giving the reviewers an identity. Think of it as MySpace or Facebook for reviews. Each reviewer has a profile that lists their friends and past reviews. You can even get reviews of the reviewers themselves through ratings and comments. Yelp's a classic startup story. Jeremy ended up as VP of Engineering at PayPal at a very young age. After PayPal was acquired by eBay, he went off to Harvard Business School. However, that didn't last long. He dropped out of Harvard to start Yelp. Yelp wasn't an instant success. The first version of the site failed to impress early users. But Jeremy and his team were quick to capitalize on the aspects that users liked and cut the aspects that they didn't. Their shift in strategy paid off as they've gained millions of visitors since. Hear how Jeremy did it. Jeremy, welcome to Venture Voice. Hi, great to be here. So tell me how you got into the world of consumer internet. Uh, I'd say I really began with my experience at PayPal. Um, so joined there in kind of early 2000. And that was and how old age. were you at the time? Uh, I guess I was 22, 23. Okay, great. Um, and so, yeah, I was a software engineer there. Um, I actually came through uh, a merger. There was uh, X.com, uh, which joined with PayPal. So I was hired by X.com. Um, and, yeah, we had you know a consumer product there. It already had a bit of traction at the time that I joined, about 80,000 users, I think. But uh, it's come a long way since. Great. So you were at PayPal. Tell me, you know, what was your experience like there? You worked your way up to um, VP of engineering? Yeah. So started as a software engineer. Um, and then at some point in there, you know, we needed to continue growing the team. And part of that meant there were management roles created. And uh, so I was a team lead there uh, for a while and then ultimately rose to the you know, VP of engineering uh, position later. So that that was, you know, around the time of the eBay acquisition. Cool. What, what was kind of your key takeaway from that? That was, uh, you know, a crazy story to anyone who's read about it, that kind of one of these businesses where everything looked bad and then they managed to get out and have a great exit. I mean, I, I think internally we always knew we were doing something that was important and the model never looked like it, it wasn't something that had value. I think the scary part was the macro environment, obviously. Like we were riding through... Um, you know, this huge bust. And we were, in fact, raising money at a time, you know, that there was a bust. We IPO'd at a time where IPOs were just not happening. Um, and so, you know, there were ups and downs because of that. Uh, and then also, obviously, figuring out the business model. PayPal was one of these companies out there that started with really just a cool product that worked and helped people um, and helped them transact on eBay. Uh, and then, fortunately, we were able to find a way to monetize that. But it wasn't always clear. And so that was sort of the big huge you know elephant in the room how are we going to turn this into a real business is you know where do we charge how do we charge how do we make money off this so what made you um 
you know, when, when you were kind of sitting in that chair as a uh, 20-something VP of engineering, I mean, there's a lot to be responsible for. You've got, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars kind of flowing through there. Was it nerve-wracking at all? Were you thinking like, oh, man, you know, maybe I should have done this somewhere else. You know, if I <laughs> screw up, then uh, then we're in deep trouble. Uh, Yeah. For sure, it was a little bit scary, and you know, at times I probably felt in over my head. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it was something that I really was passionate about. I was very passionate and continue to be passionate about the product that we built, um, and the team that we had was pretty extraordinary. I mean, there were definitely scary moments out there. You know, hours and hours of downtime actually meant you know thousands and thousands of dollars lost in revenue. Um, and so that was always the probably the scariest part is when something goes wrong and sort of crisis management. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you've been there a long time. You have the experience. So you just have to step up, suck it up, and, <laughs> you know, fight the good fight. Do you remember any, like, particularly scary moments? Was it, like, one time that was, like, the scariest of them all, or was it? I've got a lot of those stories, actually. <laughs> um, you know, there was a time where certain holds didn't happen on uh, certain transactions. So, therefore, some money that could potentially be you know, lost to fraudulent users was exposed. And in fact, there were pretty big losses because of that, you know, programming error. Um, so that was that was one of them. Fortunately, it wasn't as big as we thought. There was, you know, other times where we just had really extended outages where, you know, database problems or what have you, and we're working, you know, late through the night hoping to get the site back up before, you know, the other coast wakes up and starts <laughs> trying to transact. Wow. So you got done with that. And, uh, you know, I imagine successful exit, there must have been a number of options you had. Go work at other companies, immediately go start your own company. Why do you uh, choose to go back to school? Uh, so after the acquisition, you know, I immediately started thinking about, okay, you know, is this something I want to ride long term? Is it time to to figure out what's next? And I had always had this interest in business strategy. I definitely wanted to go back to a startup, hopefully one that I was involved in as a founder, because part of it was when I joined you know, X.com, which became PayPal, they already had a little bit of traction, like that kind of initial inertia was already there. And so I really wanted to experience at some point that those very, very early days. And I thought, well, the best way to do that is to start a company, but I didn't quite feel like I, you know, the timing was right, the idea, the team I didn't feel like I had everything I wanted. And so a good option came up, which was, hey, you know, I could go to business school for a couple of years and that's great experience. And I could learn some things about the business side that I didn't already know. Um, and so, yeah, just took it and went went to Boston. Uh, so a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, I know, face that question, like, should I go get more schooling? What value will it deliver? What do you find that you got out of it? Um, I mean, certainly... From a strategic perspective, there are a lot of useful cases, a lot of, you know, information you go through, you know, you get while you're there. Um, you know, obviously accounting, rigorous accounting exercises and learning about financial statements and all that can be very helpful. And it's helped me. Um, but also, you know, the emphasis on learning about all sorts of different businesses and different industries and what problems they face and doing those case studies, I've, I continue to find useful. I continue to sort of reference in my mind cases that came up, and you know, I, I think to myself, wow, I've, I've seen this before. So, uh, so in, in retrospect, do you think it was worthwhile, like those years of your life and the money? So the good news is <laughs> I was only there for a year, uh, so I saved some money. <laughs> uh, I didn't finish. I, I'm actually a deferred student right now. Uh, I found the first year a lot of fun, very helpful. 
um, met some great people that I continue to be, you know, very close friends with. Uh, so for me, it was perfect. It gave me a year to think about other things, to sort of get out of the momentum of the valley, take a little bit of a breather. And then, you know, in my summer was actually where you know, the origins of, of Yelp were. Uh, you know, everything did come together that I was looking for. And so for me, it was it was initially a bit of a tough choice, but then it became obvious that this was the right time. It was sort of the perfect storm. Everything that I wanted to come together was coming together. So I had to go for it and leave business school. So tell me about that. Tell me, I guess you finished business school your first year and you came back here for the summer back to uh, San Francisco? Yeah. So as my summer internship, uh, <laughs> I came to spend time with old friends. Uh, so Max Levchin, who was the co-founder of PayPal, had started uh, what he had called a, an incubator um, here in San Francisco. And he had brought together some friends, both PayPal and non-PayPal, uh, to start thinking about new ideas, uh, very consumer-focused, um, you know, trying to come up with the next startup or two or three uh, that he could. And so I came into that context. There were a bunch of bright people here, and we were just sort of brainstorming uh, for the first several weeks that, that I was back in San Francisco. And during the course of those brainstorming sessions, I had a conversation with my co-founder, Russ, that led to Yelp and sort of sparked the initial idea. What was that conversation? <laughs> so Max's birthday lunch, I believe it was. Uh, you know, we were, we were both fascinated with the local space. It was, it was obvious, and it was one of the themes in the incubator, that local is this sort of thing that hasn't quite happened on the internet yet. Uh, the timing was right. You have these you know, resources that you use that are still offline, like the yellow pages. And clearly a transition was happening, but you know, nobody had quite figured it out. And, and part of what reinforced that is I got sick that summer you know, in those first few weeks, and I was looking for a doctor. And I couldn't find any information on doctors other than you know, insurance websites or just raw listings, just no doctor reviews, nothing. And I thought, this is crazy. Here we are in 2004. And nobody's bothered to write down what the, who their doctor is or, or where I should go. I'm sick. I want to go to somebody <laughs> good that's, that's actually, you know, friendly and, and treats me well. And so for me, that was a, a personal attachment to the issue. And then we were having this conversation trying to figure out, you know, what is – how do you solve the question of local? Like what is the real consumer pain point? And what we realized is, well, when you want to find a new business, you really want to know how good is this business. And, you know, how do you do that? Often it's word of mouth. And so that was really the, the crystallization of the problem, um, and that helped us launch in the direction of what Yelp became, which you know, we see it as word of mouth amplified. So you have all these people sharing their opinions um, and talking about local businesses, and you can then tap into that knowledge. So when you came up with that first idea, when it was you know, purely intellectual, you're hashing out these ideas before you actually started to kind of build it and have people used it, did the idea look then just like what Yelp looks like today, or was it a very different animal? Um, it looks, if you go back in the Internet Archive, it's actually different. It's the same concept broadly, but we had a different focus. So initially this word-of-mouth emphasis we thought would be, you know, word-of-mouth is obviously, as we commonly know it, between friends or between people you know. And so we thought, wow, a site where you might ask your friends for recommendations could be really powerful because you're, you know, simply replicating what you do elsewhere. But you're doing it in a place, if you did it on a website, if I type in a question, I need a doctor in, you know, Knob Hill, San Francisco, you know, which of my friends knows the answer to that or can provide a recommendation, then emails go out to them, they click on the links, and they respond uh, with their favorite doctors. I thought that system would be, you know, pretty useful and just sort of drive itself and it'd be email viral and millions of people would be on mm -hmm. the site finding recommendations. And then 
for those areas where we don't have the knowledge, where our friends don't have an answer, we could tap into other people who have asked the same question and received answers from their friends. So that was the original vision. Um, and sort of as an afterthought, we buried in the site a way to write your own review. So it's like coming in, you're, you're typing in your friends' email addresses and the question and so forth. And then, oh, by the way, two pages in, oh, you want to write a review without being asked a question? Sure. Why not? <laughs> and when we launched the site, which was October 2004, we got a lot of feedback. It was like, well, I get all these emails. I don't know the answers to the questions very often. It's a lot of email traffic for me, et cetera, et cetera. But the one thing we saw that was particularly interesting is in the data, people, some people would come to the site and just write a string of reviews. They're just in the mood to share. They want to share. Uh, they want to tell you, you know, what their favorite places are or who their providers are or what have you. And so we realized that we were close, but not, you know, we hadn't quite hit it out of the park when it came to focusing on the right things. Uh, you know, the we we were just a, a little distance off of, you know, the real solution, which is how do you, you know, how do you get people to share this critical information? So tell me what the company looked like at that point. Like to get to that point where it was public, you had people using it, and you got that critical feedback, and you had that realization. What did the company look like up until that point in terms of team, in terms of funding, you know, just in terms of kind of general milestones? It was tiny. <laughs> So uh, at the outset, Max uh, backed us with a million dollars in financing, um, but we you know, knew that we likely had a long road, and so we were sipping the cash. <laughs> uh, it's like, I what think, was the burn? Uh, I don't remember exact dollar amounts, but it was really, really low. Um, and we, you know, kind of the initial people working on it was myself, Russ, I think we had, you know, up until launch, just one other engineer. So it was, you know, three guys working on the site and then around the time of launch october 2004 we brought in another friend of ours from paypal uh and you know continued to staff up but we generally were we were hovering around like six or seven people for quite a long time until the site actually had some traction wow so you so you figure kind of keep the burn low until you kind of hit the right thing yeah i mean Kind of my perspective was a million dollars isn't a lot of money, <laughs> you know, especially if you're talking about paying market competitive salaries for, say, engineers, like you could burn through that very, very quickly. We didn't know what it would take um, or how long it would be to get the idea right. Um, and so we were very, very conservative about spending money. Russ and I were taking very, very low draw, uh, really low salaries. Um, and... You know, that proved to be the smart thing to do. It did take a long time for us to get to the point where the site clearly had traction, was clearly resonating with people, and was an attractive in investment for a VC. And how do you find that process? Like when you're going through things and you're trying to find out what works and potentially do a major shift in strategy as you did, what was kind of your your process or your metric to make sure that on one hand you didn't you know quit something too soon? But on the other hand, that you didn't, you know, keep doing the wrong thing too long and change your course when you need to. Um, I mean, I think the thing that kept us going is one, obviously, passion for the problem. And then two, looking at the data. The data really never, in the history of Yelp, I don't think the data has ever led us astray. So, you know, when you see a metric bouncing, like people showing interest in it, there's probably something there. You might not have it right, might not be properly tuned, you know. But the point is, people are are pointing you in the direction. You know, consumers are pointing you in the direction of of where the value is. You know, what do you need to do next? And so, when we launched the site, 
originally in October, you know, people showed us. They're just like, there's something interesting here, but the rest of the site is crap. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we took we took that message. We heard that message loud and clear and then retooled the entire thing based around a, a different concept. I mean, obviously, we, we hit on the same thing, which is word of mouth reviews. You know, reviews are the word of mouth is the best way to find local businesses. Uh, but we just approach it from a totally different direction. And how do you monitor those metrics? Because we, we've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs where they kind of launch that site, it's generally getting lots of traffic, but they kind of have no clue what's going on. You know, they, and they just went through this period where they didn't know where to go next. They didn't, you know, have a real story to tell in terms of metrics, kind of counting hits with these awful terms. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you build that system? What what metrics did you look at? Um, I mean, for us, it was all the internal metrics. So somebody had to sign up for, you know, for somebody to use our site at the time in October 2004, they had to sign up for the site. And so we could see what, if anything, did they do when they came into the site? And so we could see, oh yeah, here they, you know, asked their friends for a recommendation and here, you know, they wrote a review or they didn't or or what have you. And so we kind of were looking at all the, the little bells and whistles that we had built and seeing where were people having fun? Where were, where were they, what were they touching that was interesting to them? And then based on that, we then started to try and figure out in our own heads, like, what is it that we've built that's interesting and that we can retool and potentially, you know, make better and have an actual direction, you know, that works with consumers, resonates with consumers. Yeah. So tell me about that moment once you finally got there and you figured, okay, you know, these are the parts of our business that are interesting. We're going to focus on that. We're going to grow it. You know, what that looked like and what did you start doing differently and how did that scale up? So. I mean, I'd say the data point was clear, but how that would all play out wasn't clear. So we were definitely taking a, a leap of faith that we would figure it out and, and continued work on the interesting parts of the site would eventually bear fruit. But I'd say the big transition point came in February 2005. So we, and again, I think part of this had to do with, okay, so people were writing strings of reviews and that was interesting and something that was not obvious to us that we didn't think would happen and so part of it was also finding out who these people are and asking them questions and also experiencing it for ourselves like okay people like writing reviews so i started writing reviews myself and i found you know hey wow this is actually kind of fun you know and i think these that's are just unpaid people who kind of yeah, just people that come to the site to check it out um you know they they hop in and they start writing a, you know a few reviews and and so forth and and so i personally started doing that and i think Again, part of our success probably has to do something has something to do with the fact that the site appealed to me. Like at the end of the day, I kind of built a site that worked for my myself, and that translated well to other people. Um, so that was part of it. So as I started to write reviews, I discovered things about how much fun it was, or how it could be more fun, and I started adding those features to the to the list of things we were going to build. Um, and so we sort of went heads down uh, as we learned a little bit about you know the activity that was fun, this writing a reviews process. And we totally retooled the site, uh, reskinned it. We had learned something about who our early adopters might be. We found a lot of women initially uh, were attracted to the site. And so we tried to make our site more female-friendly, got a lot of feedback from women. Um, and How do you make a site more female-friendly? <laughs> so we chose a different color scheme. Uh, our, you know, The word Yelp uh, is pretty harsh, <laughs> especially before we had, you know, obviously now we're, we're better known and, and so yeah. we're, we're – we're taking over the word, essentially. <laughs> but in the beginning, the word had a connotation of dog being kicked or something harsh like that. 
And so it was important to, to try and soften that. So we did it with visual elements. Um, so the Yelp logo has that burst. It sort of looks like an ambiguous flower or something like that. I think it has the effect of sort of making Yelp a friendlier, softer term. Um, and the original color scheme was blue and gray, which, you know, is kind of a sleepy tone. And I, I think it's a little bit more male. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, we changed all that and actually had the, the impact that we want, that we wanted. I mean, obviously we didn't make the site, you know, too in either direction, you know, totally, totally female or totally male, <laughs> if you can have such a thing, but we tried to sort of, you know, make it more balanced, um, and the funny thing is when we did launch that site with sort of the refocus and the, the new logo and the new color scheme, it actually immediately resonated. Uh, it was clear that we had finally hit on something that worked for people, you know, on average more often. Like we, we started seeing kind of the first Yelpers, as we call them, <laughs> that, that were saying, oh, this is so much fun. I'm addicted. You know, we had never heard that word about our previous site. Uh, and, you know, we started seeing the the early uh, early evidence that we were building a community. People love the site. People love writing reviews. They love sharing this information, and and that was really exciting. So tell me about that. When you found out these people were writing these reviews, and you said it was almost a surprise that that caught on. They're writing them for free. They're putting all this work into it. Who are these people? Uh, these people are just every everyone, uh, especially here in San Francisco, where we have a gigantic community. Uh, it, it really is all sorts of people. Um, obviously, it you know we have this urban bias. It's people that like to go out that uh, have strong opinions, uh, like myself. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, really, it's all about them. Like our site is about you and your opinion, and we're just a platform for sharing that. And so, you know, it's not really you're you're coming to Yelp to write reviews. It's you're coming to Yelp because you you're you want to share your opinion and talk to other people that have strong opinions too. And that's what we built, and that's what our focus has always been is on. What can we provide you, the user? Now, I was reading some early articles about Yelp, and I'd heard that you kind of experimented, like, should these people just write it? And, you know, you take what they write. Should you pay people to write it? Was that something you experimented with? Was the answer to that clear at the time? Um, yeah, so especially with the competitive field right at the outset, there was a lot of questions around strategy. You know, one is, you know, paid incentives that were – being used by all of our competitors. Um, one is, you know, another was, do you try to go broad right away or do you focus? Um, and our intuitions proved to be correct. Um, I guess, you know, we looked at the Craigslist model and obviously Craigslist is another widely, you know, hugely success, successful local site. And we saw that it had, it had grown city by city. It was never this splatter cast like okay it's everywhere at once and everybody's using it you know it was san francisco then it was new york and and so forth and we thought well there's probably some reason for that <laughs> so let's just try and focus on san francisco um and then the other part around reviews is like you know the the paid thing just didn't seem to me again it's to me you know, like if you paid me a dollar for my review would that feel you know, does that make me want to write? Like, no, it actually sort of trivializes my contribution. And I'm not writing it for compensation. I'm here because I want to express my opinion and I'm happy to have a good time and to share it with other like-minded folks. And so that felt a little weird. Um, and so in San Francisco, we did no incentives, uh, what have you. You know, to this day, uh, the only place where there's paid 
reviews whatsoever is a new market which has no content. Like certainly if you come to a site that has nothing whatsoever, like that's bad. Just it's a bad user experience. Nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows what the site's about. And so you have to get some base level of content. So we have employees um, at the very, very early stages, the first few weeks of a city. Um, but, you know, San Francisco, we obviously had ourselves here to help provide those first <laughs> reviews, you know, to get the ball rolling. And uh, and that proved to be, you know, the, the healthy model. And, and people are there writing because they want to write and not because you're telling them this is what you should write. I'd say that's actually another differentiator of kind of what we did versus competition. And also what we were hearing, interestingly, from VCs as we were ta- talking to a lot of them was we had a lot of people that were writing about restaurants. And we thought that was great. It's like, of course, talk about whatever you want. Yeah. This is about you. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yelp is a platform for sharing, you know, whatever you want. And so, you know, a lot of venture capitalists are like, ah, oh, that's, that's not so great. You know, you can't monetize restaurants. And what about, you know, plumbers or contractors? That's where the money is. And we're just like, you know what? Over time, people are going to talk about everything. And so we're not going to worry about that. We're just going to create this platform for sharing. Um, and that was another sort of strategic differentiator is a lot of people were focused on where the money was and we just weren't. Was there also a, a thought out there or were you out there like, hey, a website where anyone can write reviews, that's City Search? Um, City Search was definitely the big guy on campus or, or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. And they continue to be pretty big. Um, but at the same time, people didn't really think of it as a user review site. It was, they really do have more of a top-down model of classic editorial. Um, and I think they continue to be perceived that way. And if you go to, say, a business page on Yelp versus a business page on City Search, the business page on Yelp is only reviews. That's the only thing to discover. And we put 20 reviews on that first page. Uh, whereas City Search, you'll find the editorial, which takes up most of the page if there is editorial, and then one review. Um, the other major difference is just the information that you have available to you about that reviewer. So on Yelp, you know, the average Yelper has their full profile. They have their links to their favorite website. They've answered a lot of questions. They, you can see all their other reviews, uh, for instance. Um, so there's just a lot more in which you can evaluate a specific opinion, and you can get it sort of in the context of who that person is versus City Search, where it's just semi-anonymous. Hmm. And so as you were looking at this, like, you know, what was your thought, like, where, you know, we built the site, anyone can submit reviews. How do, how do you make it popular? Um, I mean, we didn't have to make it popular. I guess the the nice thing was that, you know, once we got the basic site right, the basic site correct, you know, it resonated with people. And so if you build something that really makes sense to others, like they sort of act as your, you know, marketer, like people will spread things that they enjoy and they love. And so we built something that resonated with consumers. And that sort of helped it spread. Uh, you know, certainly we've done various marketing and so forth to help support that. But at the end of the day, it's it's this idea of, you know, people that are using your site that are happy are going to tell friends. And it continues to, to spread that way. And, of course, reviews that get out there are also in search engines. So that has effect. More people get exposed to the site as they're sort of just trolling um, for useful local content. So those two kind of interplaying have made the site popular. Cool. I'd heard from people who were kind of involved with or not involved with Yelp but knew a lot of kind of, you know, the Yelp in the early days were saying that the parties were really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about that. Like, how did you come up with the idea of doing parties and were they important or were they just kind of, you know, for fun? 
Um, I guess our very first meeting uh, was actually suggested. We we have I had at the time one marketing person. He's like, oh, maybe we should meet some of our users that you know are addicted Yelpers now. <laughs> and since we have a couple, like maybe we should find out who they are. They're you know they're in San Francisco. We're in San Francisco. It can't be hard that hard to meet up. And I thought that's a great idea. Let's find out. Who let's look these people in the eye and see who they are. This is really cool. Were you worried maybe you wouldn't like your users? Or? Uh, it definitely crossed my mind. I didn't know what to expect, and that's actually probably one of the most interesting things about the early adopters for Yelp is it's very different than your classic technology early adopters. Like we don't tend to have you know sort of the technical crowd. Uh, our early adopters are urban. They like to go out. Like it's just sort of the. Yeah. What you kind of expect when you think about it, but given that it's a technology product, you have you just assume okay, it's going to be the, the tech crowd, but it's not. Um, and so, yeah, we we had this first meeting. It was really social bunch that came out and and met up with us for drinks, and we're like, wow, this is really interesting. Like we didn't really think about it, but we're all in the same geography. It's really easy to meet up. Why don't we meet up? Like that sounds great. And so it sort of spun out of that. Um, and we did our first kind of major event. Uh, I think the kickoff was like Armani Cafe. <laughs> and it was really successful. People had a great time. Uh, you know, you saw it in sort of the both the conversations that were happening as I was walking around there. I could see people were really enjoying it. And then, of course, when they're back on the site, it's a, a great connection and thing, you know, for people to have in common, a you know, shared experience. And so it just seemed like, hey, this this really fits and makes a ton of sense. So let's just keep doing it. And so we kept doing it, and it you know got bigger and bigger. And now it's we're a little bit notorious for it, <laughs> but you know it's been super complimentary uh, to the site experience. And you know, kind of back to what what are we all about? It's you know, really it's about the user. And so we want to do anything that we can for that user, that person that's on Yelp. And so that means building features that, that they're going to enjoy and have fun with and then also organizing now offline events that they enjoy as well. Now, you'd also mentioned that Google plays a big part or definitely plays a part in the growth, and I think that's something that's probably relevant for any business today. Mm-hmm. So do you just kind of do your site and then you know leave it to Google, or do you, did you put a lot of thought into how you built the business that are designed to make it uh, – make it friendly so that you get that traffic from Google? Um, I can't say that we knew at the very outset that, you know, search, how exactly traffic would be driven by search engines. And I think that was still the early days um, for people understanding how do the search engines fit into sort of the traffic, overall traffic picture. Um, you know, we definitely adapted over time. You know, uh, we had some major problems sort of early on, like in 2005, where the site just wasn't crawler-friendly. Like, not that we did any sort of super science <laughs> or anything to, to optimize, but we were just, we had our basics wrong. And so after we fixed that, then it all sort of worked and continued to play out, and it continues to play out today. But it's not something we spend a whole lot of time on. Just, you know, by the nature of the content, it's search engine-friendly. Now, what do you? What were your thoughts? You know, you got this going in San Francisco, and now there are all these other cities, but San Francisco is fairly unique in that people here tend to be more skewed to being internet users. They're kind of right in the center of everything. You know, San Francisco as a city doesn't represent the average American city. Did you think, oh boy, you know, we could launch this somewhere else? It'll be a site that's you know 
turns out it was just geared for San Franciscans and or whatever you call them, and it doesn't work elsewhere? Mm-hmm. Or were you pretty confident that, hey, we can just throw this out and it'll work in other cities? Um, I felt reasonably confident about it, but certainly that was pause for a lot of the investors that we were talking to at the time. That was sort of the big question in, I think it was, I guess, late 2005. As we were going into a fundraising round, everybody wanted to know, is this going to work outside San Francisco? And that makes sense. It's like San Francisco is a bit of an anomaly when it comes to the population. We're very tech-skewed and and so forth and wired. Um, So there was some concern there. And it was a big relief, you know, in 2006 as we, you know, set out to build these other communities or support these other communities. Um, and it did work, and, and we were seeing sort of the same phenomenon happening there. And so that was obviously reassuring, and, and we felt good about that. So what was the what was your kind of strategy there? Did you just launch in five cities right away? Did you pick one to start with? What was that kind of first expansion? Um, the first three were Boston, Chicago, and New York. And then we expanded later that year to, I think, a total of five. So we added L.A. and Seattle. Um, and, yeah, I guess we chose it based on looking at, you know, where is City Search working, where is Craigslist working, sort of trying to find parallel models and, and make sure that the city is sufficiently wired and look for those factors that we think might have contributed to the success of, of San Francisco. Um, and so, it, you know, it wasn't overly scientific. But, you know, we tried to take a quick stab at it. And and what's the process for doing that launch? You just uh, open it up and wait for people to come, or is there more of an outbound effort? Um, so we have, yeah, we we have a person that represents the company uh, in every city uh, that we're sort of launched in. Uh, the site actually works, though, anywhere in the country. So you can review stuff in Omaha, but we actually don't have a presence in Omaha. So that's part of it is just having mm-hmm. someone – who's legitimate, who's on the ground, who can be the, the voice of Yelp. Um, and then, of course, there's the part of, you know, you've got to have some content there so that person um, and other assistants get involved in, like, creating that, that initial layer so the site isn't empty. Uh, but then people just find the site um, and the marketing activities that those people do um, help with that, and you start seeing the seeds of a, of a community form pretty quickly. And so what's your take on that? We've seen with a lot of people, there's a lot of debate over whether, you know, users, well, the argument that people say they frame it, users should be paid or should not be paid for their content. We had both uh, Jay Adelson of Dig, where it's a social bookmarking company and people submit stuff and they're not compensated. Then right after Jason Calacanis came on and was talking Mm -hmm. about how he felt everyone should be compensated. And what's your take on that kind of debate going out there now that's, you know, both for bookmarking and for reviews and video, like, mm-hmm. you know, what do you feel, you know, how do you feel about that? Um, I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer. And I suspect there'll be different models in different verticals. Uh, you know, video production can be very expensive. Mm-hmm. And if you want to do something super professional, like you might very well have to have a paid model for that kind of content for something that's really easy to submit where there's lots of people that want to participate and it's a lot of fun. You know, it it doesn't necessarily have to be a a part of that model. And I think, you know, also paying in certain situations can be a negative because it trivializes what's happening or or the person, you know, if you assign a dollar value to it, like what if that dollar value is too low? 
Like, that doesn't make it any fun. And so, you know, there will be some places where it makes sense and there will be some places where it doesn't. Hmm. And I guess I, I don't have a, a firm position on which, <laughs> which scenario works where I just kind of know our own situation. And, you know, we, we just focus on catering to that user however we can. So in your city rollout, have you ever had a city that you came across where, like, you thought it'd be great and for some reason it just turns out that, you know, Yelp hasn't applied well in the city that you put his effort into it and compared to equivalent-sized cities is just not getting the traction? We haven't seen that, which is sort of surprising. I, You know, we anticipated that we'd struggle somewhere, but it's been a rather consistent model as we've rolled out um, in city after city. So feeling pretty good about that. And who do you think is your main competitor now? Is it still, do you think of City Search? Do you think of other companies out there? Um, you know, City Search is definitely a competitor. Um, you know, Yahoo Local, to a certain extent, competes with us. Uh, so we, we are up against the big boys, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Uh, but, we, but we have a pretty unique spin on it, and we have our own flavor, and we're doing our own thing. So it's, you know, at the same time that we're sort of competing with them, we're sort of pretty different than them. Now, one of the advantages you were saying you had over City Search is that they have a system where they get paid by the restaurants and there's all this advertising, kind of advertorial content there that skews the editorial. So, you know, on one hand, that's a competitive advantage. On the other hand, now how do you make money? Um, so we do have a sponsored business program. Um, it obviously doesn't involve editorial, uh, <laughs> but really it's about getting additional exposure uh, for your business profile. So we have impressions. Um, you get some upgrades on your page. Uh, so there is you know, value there for a small business. And we, we've been very careful, obviously, not to upset the integrity. And I guess part of the beauty of the model is that these thir independent third parties, aka consumers, people out there that are writing the reviews can say whatever they want. And that's that's something that we've had to always deal with as we build our business. And so we sort of are, we have thick skin as a result that anybody can say anything on Yelp. Uh, and so we just have to make that a part of our reality and uh, develop business programs that still help you know, small businesses get the word out and uh, leverage the positive word of mouth that their customers are leaving about them. It sounds like a tough sale. I mean, you've got these, uh, you know, these people who own restaurants who, you know, aren't sitting in front of the computer all day. They, you know, they have a yellow book. That's kind of, you know, the extent of their experience marketing their business. And now you're charged with having to sell all these, you know, restaurants, store owners on using the internet, which they don't know about, and, you know, make a marketing business case to them, which they're not used to thinking about. How have you approached that? Uh one of the powerful things that we have at our disposal is the fact that more and more we're being recognized. So people are making their decisions on Yelp. And so when you have customers coming into the business saying, yeah, I found you on Yelp, it suddenly changes the whole conversation because the, the business owner is aware that the people that are coming in their door know, this as a re know that Yelp is a, an important resource and know that people are making those critical purchase decisions. And so that's sort of the start of the conversation. Um, and obviously there's the reviews as evidence of, hey, you know, your, your customers are on Yelp. Um, and so don't you, don't you want to get that word of mouth out there? Like you've got all this positive, all these positive comments here, is, you know, all these wonderful people that have said great things about you. What better thing to show prospective customers other than independent third-party testimonials? Hmm. That's just great marketing. <laughs> 
Now, a lot of businesses have tried to have the revenue model come from, I mean, have tried to do local business models and local sites, but also have their revenue come from local advertisers. And a lot of people have been challenged that that's just tough to scale, you know, in the sense that, like, you've got these local papers that have sales forces of hundreds of people. And, you know, how, what's your response been to that? Is there a way to sell all these local advertisers without having to build, you know, eventually a hundred person sales force in every city? Um, I think the short answer is we don't quite know. Um, the, the reality of today is we're building the sales force. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, we recognize that small businesses are not spending tons of time online figure, you know, evaluating all the different options. And so if you want to be a part of their advertising conversation, you really need to reach out to them because everyone in the past has historically reached out to them and they're used to it. They're comfortable with it and they'd love to hear from you. And so therefore that, that is, you know, fairly resource intensive. You have to have a lot of people, you have to have a large sales force and pretty much anyone operating in the space currently has that. And so, you know, that's part of why we've, we've raised a, a decent amount of venture capital is that we can absorb that, that upfront cost of building a, a sales force. Yeah. So tell me about the business now. Like how many are there of you and, how much have you raised? Uh, so we've raised $16 million. Um, total, we're just over 50 people. Wow. And has it been growing pretty rapidly lately? So you're ramping up with the sales? Uh, everything's been yeah, growing <laughs> as fast as we can manage. I mean, that's probably one of the biggest challenges right now is just execution, you know, not falling all over ourselves. So we're, we're taking it one day at a time and, and trying not to go too fast. <laughs> um, but in general, you know, across the board, Things are, are looking pretty good. Traffic is growing really quickly, and so we're we're pretty happy. Great. And how's the revenue coming along? Uh, the revenue is great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're we're not a profitable entity. We're we're venture backed for a reason. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing a lot of potential in the model. Um, and learning more every day. So building a sales force is uh, always known as being a hard thing. Are you finding that you know you're having to shift your attention? You're spending le- you know, in terms of where you prioritize, like are you spending most of your time on UI, or are you spending most of your time on building the sales force, managing investors? How's your time broken down today? Um, I've been fortunate enough to have hired uh, a few people that, that have been just incredibly valuable in absorbing a lot of that. And so my passion remains really close close to the metal, you know, on the engineering side, on the product side. And so I spend a huge portion of my time still literally looking at designs of new features, uh, you know, coming up with the prioritized feature list and, and all those in the trenches uh, type things. Um, be, you know, partially because I really enjoy it and partially because I think it's so important. I mean, the, the company, you know, as a consumer you know, product, is really all about the product and the quality of the product. And, and I think we still have a long ways to go and there's so much to do out there. And so I want to be a, a part of that still. Um, so I, I am involved in the, in the sales side of it, but we have some fabulous individuals that have done it before and, and are executing incredibly well. So what do you think are your biggest challenges going forward? Biggest challenges? Um, so I think part of it is, you know, the not screwing it up. <laughs> so everything's going really well, so let's all hang on to the, the sides of the bus and not fall out. Um, but yeah, it's it's hiring, making sure that that we keep our eye on the ball, and and we're hiring the right people, um, and we don't go too fast. I think 
um, beyond that, you know, in, in staying ahead of the curve on the technology side and the product and, and making sure that we're, you know, we continue to be a leader and an innovator there. Um, and then, of course, you know, taking incredible care of our community. I mean, we are nothing without the Yelp community, and we know it. Uh, and so every day I'm, I'm looking at it from that perspective of, you know, the people that are on Yelp that are contributing and having fun, like, I'm at their service. So. And do you, how's it been now as you're at the head of this organization that's been getting bigger and bigger? Do you feel like you still have the same kind of command and control over it as when it was smaller? Do you feel as though it's kind of, you know, slipping away to an extent as it, you know, has to start growing and growing a lot faster? I'd say the biggest challenge is around communication. So making sure that everybody, uh, Everybody has the same idea about all the subtleties of the business. Uh, that becomes trickier and trickier as people get farther and farther dispersed in the organization because of the size of the organization. And so that's something we're working through and learning how to deal with is, is making sure. And it's probably a lot of it's on me that I'm communicating the vision and the details of that vision, you know, day in and day out um, so that everybody is essentially rowing together because it's very easy for somebody, you know, especially new to, to misunderstand, you know, what we're getting at or or what have you, and it can cause problems. So keep an eye on that. <laughs> now you said you were, um, you know, as you're kind of keeping it and building it conservatively and saying kind of taking care of the business in that sense. At the same time, are you feeling a little bit of pressure to just start growing it faster and being more aggressive as you're seeing other companies in the course of, you know, a year and a half get bought for hundreds of millions or billions of dollars? Are you thinking, hey, maybe maybe we should go more aggressively after this opportunity or after other opportunities? Um, not really. I mean, I've always focused on it from a, let's not worry about the external you know, factors. I think that's something that, that we learned really, like Russ and I both learned well at, at PayPal is like, there's a lot of noise outside at all times. And, and really for us, it should be about staying true to our mission. You know, we're here um, you know, for the user and to help people find great local businesses. And so the more we could just keep our heads down and stay focused on that, the better. And we're in it's sort of the one of the we're, we're one of the rare startups that actually does have a pretty crystal clear picture of what our total business looks like. It's like, have we figured everything out perfectly? No. But, you know, do we have a, a basic model in place that works? Yes. And so from our perspective, we don't really need to worry about you know, the context too much. We just need to, you know, continue methodical execution. Um, and that's what <laughs> we're trying to stick to as much as possible. And sure, you know, it's you see you see other things happening in the macro environment. It's distracting and you want to pull your head up and say, hey, should we be, you know, doing something else? And, and you, you just have to stay on top of yourself and pull your head back down and ground yourself and say, you know what, none of that matters at all. Like we've got a fantastic business here that we're building. It's a lot of fun. Let's just keep doing that. Cool. So to wrap it up, you know, what's your advice out there to other entrepreneurs who are kind of early in that stage and they're embarking on their venture? What's your words of wisdom to them? <laughs> words of wisdom. I would say be prepared, especially in the early stages, be prepared for the ups and downs. Uh, the volatility, I think, goes down over time. Uh, but... Those probably the first, you know, six to eight months is the most challenging part. And having faith that you're going to figure it out and that there's something there is, is the hardest thing, I think, to keep. But if you can get past that hump, it's incredibly rewarding. Well, Jeremy, thanks a lot for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
Best of luck. Great. Thanks. That's all for this Venture Voice. Hope you enjoyed the interview. You just heard about Yelp, a reviewing site, but you can review this interview by going to our website, www.venturevoice.com, and leaving a comment on it for anybody to see, or click on Contact, where you can contact us privately. You can also call our listener line and leave an audio comment that might be played on the show at 212-461-4850. That's 212-461-4850. So either way, we'd love to hear from you. This is much about the community. This is Greg Gallant for Venture Voice, entertaining entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship.